10.30. Good to see you guys today. I mean, today begins week one this fall of a, uh, it's a 40-week journey that we're about to take together as a church. I have started actually to get geeked out about this back in January in the middle of our New Testament run last year. And, and I'm going to tell you more about this in a minute. But I want to start by rooting it because I think it's important we situate what this journey is going to be about. And here is the fundamental thing it comes down to. Not only this journey, but what I would argue we're uh, even doing here in the first place. It's rooted in a hope and in a promise that God transforms lives. Period. That's why we're here. There is this hope and this promise that there is a God and he is alive and active and personal and God transforms lives. The primary way that I have seen God do his work is not really through the heavens open up and angels coming down and signs and miracles and, and epiphanies and revelations and, and you know things like that. I mean, that, that stuff can and does happen. But what I've seen about God is something different. He tends to be a little less flashy than that. In fact, I've seen that God, I think, tends to be a lot less flashy than people are, all right? People, if they have any kind of prominence, it's all about the bling. It's all about putting them out there for most people. But for God, he likes to be behind the scenes. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but God has just this strange way of, of wanting to be right there behind things, unnoticed on the surface, and often working in the most ordinary, regular, humble, if I can use that word, kind of ways. And the biggest way that I've seen God do his work in people and go about this job of transforming lives, um, it doesn't sound sexy, but it's true, through the Bible. He takes this otherwise ordinary-looking message, this, this book, and God's Spirit just has a way of... of getting into it and working through it and speaking and convicting and encouraging. And because of that, and because I believe that, what we're starting today is a 40-week journey. Today is week one of going through what I like to call Jesus Bible. All right? Jesus Bible is something that you might know as this the Old Testament. What my hope is, is that over these next 40 weeks, I can help you see how this thing that we call the Old Testament isn't old at all. The struggle's off the bat. Let's just kind of lay them out there. My experience, most uh, people who call themselves followers of Jesus they don't go into it much, you know? You might dabble there every now and then, but my experience is that most believers are what I would call New Testament Christians. Their life, their formation, their ideas about God are shaped from the New Testament. And more so, I would say this. I think for a lot of us here, 
I mean, if, if we're going to just be honest about it, we've written the Old Testament off. We've written it off as maybe just being something that's too complicated or confusing or, I mean, hard to understand. You ever tried reading it? You ever get to like the middle of Exodus and it goes on like a 20-chapter discourse of tabernacle furniture? And you're like, what do I do with this? You know, I've met other people that just think of it as something that's obsolete, right? It's all these strange, weird, arcane, old-fashioned rules for people like five millennia ago that have absolutely nothing to do with today. And the irony of this is that for Jesus, nothing could be further from the truth. For Jesus, the Old Testament was the scriptures. And not only that, for the people who wrote the New Testament, their scriptures were the Old Testament as well. To them, it was active. It was alive. It was living and breathing, and it was relevant. And guys, it wasn't just relevant because they lived like 2,000 years ago. If Jesus were to like walk through these doors right now, come down from heaven, boom, here I am, guys, he would say, it is exactly as relevant today as it was to me back then. I want to show you this morning something Jesus said, all right? This comes out of the New Testament, but it's, it's the lips of Jesus talking about how he thinks of the Old Testament. Check this out. He says this. He said to his disciples, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear. Has that happened yet? All right, so this is still active now. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Here's how much and how important the Old Testament was to Jesus. Do you see this phrase right here? Um, Not the least stroke of a pen, not the smallest letter or least stroke of a pen. I want to kind of unpack this phrase for you. Now, Jesus probably originally spoke this in Aramaic or maybe Hebrew. And the way they would have worded it is, not a yod or the coats of a yod, all right? Now, the Greek writers who write the New Testament come along and they take this idea and they put it into Greek. And what underlies this phrase is what I'm going to say right now. Not an iota, not an iota or a caria will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What's an iota? It's like a lowercase i, letter i. It is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. The smallest letter in the New Testament. You know what Jesus says? Not even the smallest little tiniest letter will disappear from the law and the prophets, from the Old Testament, until everything is accomplished. Which, of course, brings up, if it's an iota or a caria, what's a caria? All right, I want to show you something. All right, who here is still using Times New Roman font? Okay, you are like the seven people that are holding out, right? Because the rest of us have moved on to Helvetica, Ariel, or Calibri in our lives, right? Now, (laughs) notice no one else is cheering you on in that, boo. (laughs) 
we've got a Times New Roman age. You see that? Right here, we've got a Calibri age. Let's just give it up for Calibri font right now. Can we do that? Thank you. Now, what is a caria? A caria is literally a horn. The Greek word for horn is caria. Now, do you see how the Times New Roman H has these little protrusions, or can I use the term horns, sticking out of it? Trim? Let's go with trim. Do you see how Calibri doesn't? Do you know what Jesus says? Guys, I have not come to abolish the Old Testament. I tell you the truth, not an iota, not even the horn of a letter, not even a caria will disappear until everything is accomplished. Guys, that's how important the Old Testament was to him because for Jesus and the New Testament writers, the Old Testament wasn't old. It was current. It was relevant. It was God's message to them. And you realize, guys, this is important. He doesn't actually call it the Old Testament. You know, they never said, yeah, we're reading the Old Testament today. I'll show you what he calls it. You see the highlighted parts? The yellow font? What people in Jesus' day would call the Old Testament is not old because it wasn't old. They would call it something like this, the Law and the Prophets describing the, the makeup of the writers or, or, or the substance of what it's about. Sometimes it would be simplified and just called the law, and sometimes they would lengthen it and call the law, the prophets, and the writings, or the law, the prophet, and the psalms. But notice how Jesus calls it by two of these ways here in this New Testament passage. You can read the New Testament. It'll pop out in these ways. Here's the problem. When you hear the word law... Where, where's, where's your mind go? It's like, stay under 55 and make sure my taxes are paid by September 3rd, right? And, uh, and all of these kinds of things with the idea that if we don't, there's fines or jail time. And the problem with this word law is I think people hear it, and they make this leap, this assumption that all the Old Testament is about is a bunch of laws, a bunch of weird, strange laws that God has laid out, and if you break them, cosmic fines or cosmic jail time. Guys, nothing could be further from the truth. I want to teach you a Hebrew word today. It's the word that underlies this word law every single time that you see it appear in the Old Testament. It sounds like this. Torah. Have you heard of this before? Get it on your lips with me today. Torah. When English translators originally took this Hebrew word Torah and came about with this word in English called law, what they did not have in mind was commandments and regulations and things like that. They thought about it more like this. Laws of physics. Laws of nature. Laws of the universe. You see the difference? Described that way, law becomes about something more than just do's and don'ts. It's about underlying principles. 
It's about the substance of how things work. It's, it's about what God is up to and the patterns he has in play, which has led many today to not translate it even law anymore, but something more like this, instructions, teachings, or one that I particularly like, simply this, the way. The very defining phrase of this thing we call the Old Testament means nothing more than the way. The way of God in this world, who he is, what he's up to, what he does, what he wants, how things are are in an interplay. And for Jesus, this was the living message of God himself. Now, oftentimes, this word Torah will refer to the entire Bible. I'd like you to do something today. In these chairs, there are Bibles tucked into the racks. You see it? If you didn't bring one with today, just pull one out right now. And I'd like to show you something. Open up to the table of contents. Okay? Open up to the table of contents. Now, sometimes when Jesus talks about nothing disappearing from the law or or just the law, the Torah in general, it will refer to everything from that first book you see called Genesis all the way to the final Italian prophet Malachi that you'll see at the end of the Old Testament. You see it there? (laughs) But often, Torah will just refer to those first five books you see, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Here's why it's important, and here's why it's significant. Do you see those first five books that sometimes Torah will refer to in a narrow sense? For Jesus, for his followers, for Jews, those five books were foundational to everything else. Now, Jesus will sometimes say the Law and the Prophets, If you see the book of Joshua and that table of contents, that all the way to Malachi is the prophets. The prophets is not just the guys at the end like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea. It includes those other books too like Joshua and Judges and Kings. Because for Jesus and those first followers, all the prophets were, were commentary on the Torah. It was the idea that God gave these original five books, this codification, this message, and all that the later writers came to do was to give commentary and fresh perspective on how that Torah applied to believers following God in their day and age. Now wrap your mind around this. Do you see the section that says New Testament? Do you realize that's all it's doing as well? It can be argued. The New Testament is nothing more than the same kind of prophetic commentary on the Torah that the Old Testament prophets were engaged in. It was prophets of that day and age talking about how the Torah applied in light of the reality of Christ. For Jesus, there was no such thing as old and new. There was just the story, the message and story 
of a living God that is alive and active and relevant today. All right, so, sounds good, but what do you actually do with the thing, right? I mean, those of you who have tried this and you know, it gets arcane and confusing really quick, doesn't it? You start out with the best of intentions and and Genesis is kind of flowing fine and then you hit your first genealogy and it's like, oh, what is this? But it's short-lived and you punch through it and you get through it and you get an exodus and you're like, this is pretty cool. There's like violence going on. This is like a movie. I can dig this. And then you hit like Exodus 21 and it, seriously, it goes into this 20-chapter discourse on how to build furniture and just when you think you're done and you've made it, you hit Leviticus. You know, but you've made a commitment and you're not going to fail and you're sucking up through Leviticus and then you hit what? Numbers. And for 10 chapters, you get census lists of people you don't know and couldn't give a rip about even if you did, right? And it crushes you, you know, and you go to it, and you hear this, it's important to Jesus, it's God's living message, and you go to it, have you ever done this, and you open it, and you're looking for truth, you're looking for wisdom, God, just, what do you want me to do? And it turns around, and it says like, yeah, so, so go sacrifice a goat for a peace offering, and, uh, and, and yeah, don't, don't eat shrimp because no, you don't want any of that. And, and stay away from that pork thing too. And, and you know, while you're at it, just uh, don't clip the hair at the side of your beard or, or make sure not to wear clothing woven of two kinds of material, you polyester cotton blend heretics. <laughs> and you're like, what do I do with this? Or have you ever done this? You've gone looking. You've gone looking. It's like God just... Give me guidance here. And then it goes, in the beginning, <laughs> how far do I have to go back? It's like, it's like going to your coach and saying, hey, coach, what's the next move? And your coach goes, well, once upon a time, we come looking for a drill sergeant, and it chooses to be a storyteller. And you struggle to make sense of it. Or what about the times when it actually does make sense? Where you read it and it making, it's making all too much sense. And it's absolutely offensive. Talking about how the Israelites are just slaughtering the Canaanites to every man, woman, and child at the command of God. Reading folk songs of ancient Israel celebrating and cheering how they're going to take their enemies' babies and smash them on rocks. How do you deal with that kind of stuff? What is it about this thing that we call the Old Testament that we say is so living and alive and irrelevant and yet when we actually try to matrix it, comes across is so arcane and confusing and hard. You know, I want to share with you today just my own heart on this. I want to share with you why I like the Old Testament. 
and how I've personally come to see it as this living message of God this way. Just going to share with you four quick things. And, and the first is this. Do you know why I like it? I like it because it is so incredibly realistic. You know, Christians, I find, have this tendency to whitewash life. We want to sugarcoat it and sanitize it. And you know what my experience is? Most belief systems of this world do the same. You know what the Old Testament does? It gets down into the grit of things. It doesn't try to sanitize life. It deals with it head on, face on, in all of its dirtiness, and all of its suffering, and all of its struggle, and all of its evil. It doesn't try to wish it away. It doesn't try to pretend it's not there. It doesn't try to minimize it. It takes it in a full board, face on kind of way and goes, there is a God who gets what this is about. And there's a God who doesn't isolate himself from it, but gets down in the midst of it. I think we who have grown up in churches especially have the completely wrong idea of what the Bible is supposed to be about. There's this quote I want to show you. It's by a songwriter. His name is Rich Mullins, and I think he just, just captures this. Just read it. Guys, for me, I find that the Old Testament drips of this. And it goes hand in hand with the second thing I really like about it. It meets people where they're at. You know, so many times, so many theologians are so guilty of talking like up here with absolutely zero relation to where people are at over here. But you know, the Old Testament does that. It comes to you exactly where you're at in your weakness and your suffering and your confusion and your misunderstanding, and it meets you right there, and it helps you take that next step. I want to show you another quote today. It's by a, a guy named John Calvin. who's a 16th century reformer. And in writing about the Old Testament, he says this, all right? Just read it again. As nurses commonly do with infants, God is wont in a measure to lisp when speaking to us. Now, I know kind of like that one sentence, it feels really 16th century language there. Let me unpack it for you. Have you ever talked to a baby? No? All right, well, you're like really just cold-hearted people. Um, <laughs> But just imagine this morning that you might venture to do so. You know, how do you talk to a baby? Do you pull up next to a nine-month-old, get a chair, and start having an intellectual discussion about the higher things of life? No, you do this. Oh, you're so cute. Oh, right? Or think about this, guys. How do you talk to your dog? We've got, a, we've got a German shepherd at home, and German shepherds are said to be pretty bright. But you know how we talk to our dog? Oh, come here, Roxy. Oh, good girl. Oh, yeah, you're so sweet. Oh, come here. That's how we talk. Well, that's how we talk to our dog, I guess. I don't know. But... Right? 
You don't sit there and talk to your dog going, you know, I was thinking about the atonement of Christ the other day and how it might apply to you. And I was wondering if you tend to favor. We don't. And this is what the Old Testament does. It talks to us like we're babies. It talks to us like we're dogs. And do you know why, guys? Because we are. Because we are. We're frail and weak and easily misguided. We need it to be broken down with pictures. We need it to be spoken to at our level. We need it to enter into our suffering, our doubts, our questions. And what the Old Testament does is God comes and speaks like a nurse to an infant with a lisp, in a way, and with a technique to where people happen to be and helping them journey along. Here's the third thing I love about it. Guys, it is a book. It is a story of redemption. There is this weird idea that just won't die among Christians today. That the Old Testament is all about judgment and the New Testament is all about grace. That the God of the Old Testament is wrath. And the God of the New Testament is love, right? We've heard this. We, we, we've probably drank the Kool-Aid on this. Guys, nothing is further from the truth. The story of the Old Testament is a story of redemption and hope. It's about a God who never gives up. I got to say that again because some of you have lost sight of that. It is the story of a God who never gives up. Who comes to his people again and again, no matter how bad they butch it, no matter how far they run. A God who comes to his people, no matter how corrupt, how fallen, how distorted, how twisted they might have been. It's a God who comes to rescue and deliver and save. This is the story that constitutes Jesus' Bible. This is the story that informed his ministry. This is the story that was the groundwork for his mission. This is the story of who Jesus is. Because the biggest thing that I found about the Old Testament is it helps me know Jesus more. That can sound totally whacked. You want to know Jesus, go to a gospel, right? You will not know the depths and the character and the richness of who Christ is if you don't know the Old Testament because it's there that we begin to see things that are behind the scenes, things that form the character and substance of the man that we meet doing his ministry and Matthew and Mark and Luke. Knowing the Old Testament will help you fall in love with Jesus and meet a man, God, in ways that you couldn't imagine if you were to stick in the New Testament alone. So this year, we want to take you on a journey. A journey of embracing Jesus' Bible. Of taking God's story, Jesus' story, and making it your own. Now, in these last final moments, 
I just want to share with you today ways that we want to help you take this story on for yourself. All right? Number one is this. Read it. At some point, you've just got to read it for yourself. Now, a lot of you may have looked at the size of it and gone, you are kidding me. And others of you may have tried before and go, yeah, you are really kidding me. Because sometimes it can be hard to read. I mean, it can be confusing. It's bigger than War and Peace. With more characters and more plot twists than Ulysses. I mean, you know, it's just... So what we've done is we've developed a daily reading plan. Over the next 40 weeks, how to engage with this thing we call the Old Testament, just a chapter a day. Two to five minutes of reading a day. But here's what we've done. We've started with the assumption that many of us in this room probably don't even know the storyline to begin with. Or we know bits and pieces and fragments, but we don't really get how it how it flows together. So what we've done is we've taken a reading plan and we've focused on the narrative, the storyline alone. We've taken out the genealogies. We've taken out the census lists. We've taken out Levitical law. There was great cheering in the house. We've taken out the prophecy and the things that bog people down, and we've rooted this in the narrative alone so that if you follow this plan... You're going to walk away and know the storyline of Jesus' Bible. Now, the second thing we want to challenge you to do is memorize parts of it. Yeah, just grunt. Just do it collectively. Oh, all right. Let it out. Let it out. We're all thinking it. You thought this died last year, didn't you? Yeah. Funny way how it has a way of coming around back to haunt us. But guys, I've shared this with you before. Nothing beats ingesting God's word into your soul. I've also shared this with you before. The only class I ever got an F on on a report card was memory. But I've come to find that working through it and fighting for it and memorizing portions of it, guys, it'll transform you. It'll change you. I mean, it'll rock your world. And so what we've done is we've developed a booklet that lists out memory challenges that we have through the year. It's coded to our reading plan. And as a congregation together, taking snippets and chunks of parts of the Old Testament and together trying to just brand it into who we are. Now, the third thing that we're doing these next 40 weeks is we want to encourage you to go deeper. Over these next 40 weeks, each Sunday, we are going to take a select Old Testament passage. But guys, don't let it end there. Every week, I am developing what's called a Go Deeper sheet. It is a one-page, two-sided sheet that's meant to help you in a personal devotion. Or maybe do it with your family. Or is part of a group of some kind. But each week, to wrestle with the text to not just leave it relegated to 20 to 30 minutes here, but to jump in yourself and work through it and wrestle with it and let God come to you and challenge you and get in the mix. 
And finally, number four is this. Do it with some other people. What we have launching today is a number of groups meeting here at FOF and in various locales. A number of groups meeting on Sundays and also during the week. I found nothing beats gathering with a few other people who are asking the same kinds of questions you are, facing the same kinds of confusions you are, struggling with the same kinds of things, and engaging in it together. It's Jesus' Bible, guys. And I ask you to take my word for it when I say, it's amazing. You'll get to know Jesus more. God will speak through it. His spirit will unleash. Let yourself be challenged these next 40 weeks to make Jesus' Bible your Bible. That's where we're going. So guys, I would like to invite you to uh, just get on your feet, if you would. Today, we're going to commune. And I'm going to make the case that you can't really understand what we're about to do here if you don't know the Old Testament. Because when Jesus instituted this thing that we call communion, he was instituting something that was absolutely rooted in the Old Testament. And it was on the night that he was supposed to fulfill his mission, the night he was going to be betrayed and nailed on a cross on Passover, an Old Testament feast that he took bread, not any bread, but bread set out for a meal of an Old Testament feast, and he took it and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. Not something he made up, but something he patterned after the prophets, and he gave it to them. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, and it's given for you. And afterwards, he took a cup and he gave it to them. And he gave it to them and said, drink this. And he said, this cup is a new covenant. It's a new covenant in my blood, rooted in a former covenant that I now reinterpret. It is a new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And the words he said to them, he says to you today, Sinners, disciples, humans, do you hunger for this? Come and eat. Come and drink. Partake in remembrance of me. Before we commune, I'd like you to get some words on your lips. It's Jesus' words I shared with you just a moment ago. It's our first memory challenge here at FOF. If we come to Jesus' table, let's take his belief in this book seriously. Would you say these words with me? 
Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish.